You're listening to teaching from Midtown Fellowship, a Jesus-centered family on mission in Columbia, South Carolina. If you're interested in finding out more about us, our family of churches, or how to partner with us, go to midtowncolumbia.com. You're worshiping with us this morning. I am excited about what we're getting into this week. And uh, the next few weeks, if you've been with us, you know we've been working our way through 1 Corinthians. We're already up to chapter 12 today. You can go ahead and turn there uh, in your Bibles or on your phones if you want to, to go ahead and get us going. We've just been walking through verse by verse, line by line. And again, we're up through up to chapter 12. We're about to start a, basically a five-week stretch in this book where Paul is focusing on the Holy Spirit. Where Paul is focusing on the Holy Spirit. But he goes by many names. Some of you know him as the Holy Ghost. Some of you know him as the Spirit of God, the Spirit of Christ, the Helper. He is the indwelling presence of God in the life of every follower of Jesus. I know for some of us, uh, we have different reactions when people get up and start talking about the Holy Spirit. Depends on your background, depends on, on where you're from, what you were taught, and what you have seen. For some of us in the room... You hear me talking about the Holy Spirit, and you're just like, it's about time we started talking about the Holy Spirit up in here. For some of y'all, amen, for some of y'all, I saw, I, as soon as you heard the term Holy Ghost, you're just like, what is he about to say? What are we about to do up in here? Some of us, it makes us uncomfortable, but we need to understand who he is. Some of us as Christians, we live with a constant awareness of his presence and his activity, and some Christians never really think about him at all. Francis Chan calls him the forgotten God. He's not saying that the Holy Spirit is a different God from God the Father and God the Son, but he's saying that that the Holy Spirit in some Christian circles tends to be forgotten or not spoken of or thought about or understood very well. Some people... I believe, get nervous when you bring up the Holy Spirit because they've seen some people misrepresent him in a lot of different ways. And it can kind of be hard to to discern, right? Because if someone says the Holy Spirit led me to do this, I mean, what can you say? Right? Like, you don't don't really know if the Holy Spirit led them to do that or not, as long as it, you know, is not contradictory to the Bible. Some of us have also seen the gifts of the Holy Spirit used in inappropriate ways. I actually believe in 1 Corinthians chapter 12, chapter 13, and chapter 14 are written primarily because the Corinthians aren't using them in the right way. So some of us have seen this, and it makes us uncomfortable when we talk about the Holy Spirit. Some of us, we want to make sure everything is done, again, very biblically, very faithfully. We want to, and sometimes we want everything to be, that's done to fit in kind of a nice, neat category that we can fully explain and understand. Some of us, if we're honest, we get uncomfortable when people start talking about the Holy Spirit because we want to feel in control. And if the Holy Spirit starts causing people to do things that we're not familiar with and we feel out of control, we feel uncomfortable. We have some challenges when it comes to discerning the, the, the activity of the Holy Spirit, partially because the Bible explains what he does, but the Bible doesn't always explain what it's going to look like when he does it. It doesn't always explain that in culturally different Christian circles, different denominations and traditions have described his activity in different ways. So it leads us to a lot of confusion. And for some of us, it's like, well, I can't figure it out. So we probably shouldn't think about it or talk about it a lot or talk about him a lot, I should say. Now, if Francis Chan is right, 
then many of us have made a tragic mistake. To diminish one member of the Trinity is to diminish God as a whole. It will be horrible for us to fail to reverence and understand and receive blessing from the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. To not do that will be tragic. If God has joy and blessings and power for his people, we should want all of that. Amen? We should want everything that God desires for us to have. I can see in y'all's faces how uncomfortable some of y'all are right now. Pardon me while I enjoy it just a little bit. Quick caveat. Um, we're going to start talking about the Holy Spirit. Some of you, your, your thoughts went straight to tongues, interpretation of tongues, uh, prophecy, and, and the working of miracles. We're going to get to those type of things. He's going to bring that up in this chapter. In chapter 14, he really goes straight into that. So we're going to deal with that more in depth when we get to chapter 14. That's a few weeks uh, from now. So some of you, hold on. What you're looking for is coming in. For some of you, don't be nervous today because we're not getting there today. All right. Paul begins to instruct us on things of the Holy Spirit in verse 1, 1 Corinthians chapter 12. Now concerning spiritual gifts, brothers, I do not want you to be uninformed. The Greek word for gifts that Paul usually uses is the word, I, I don't speak Greek, it's charisma. I'm probably not saying that right. Charisma. The challenge with this specific verse, verse 1, is that Paul doesn't use that term in that sentence in verse 1, but many translations or interpretations put it in because the word he used before it is the word for, for spiritual. And usually when he's using that word, especially in chapter 14, a couple chapters later, he's, he's referring to spiritual gifts. So a, a lot of translations actually put that word gifts in there, even though it's not technically in the original Greek. I personally prefer the um, Christian Standard Bible translation that reads, Now concerning what comes from the Spirit. Paul says he wants to educate the Corinthians on that. He doesn't want them to be uninformed. He doesn't want them to be ignorant on what comes from the Spirit of God. That's my desire for us today and for the next four or five weeks, that we wouldn't be uninformed about what we have from the Holy Spirit. I want us to know what he does in and through his people. Let's keep reading verse 2. You know that when you were pagans, you were led astray to mute idols, however you were led. So he's saying many of them come from this, this, this idol worship from these false gods that couldn't really even speak. So he's letting them know, I want you to be informed because you, you come from guys that don't even speak. You come from guys that couldn't do anything from you. Verse, thir- verse 3, therefore, I want you to understand that no one speaking in the spirit of God ever says Jesus is accursed. And no one can say Jesus is Lord except in the Holy Spirit. He's letting them know a lot of them, as I said earlier, are not using spiritual gifts correctly. It's causing, as many other things did in the Corinthian church, it's causing a lot of division within the church. He's trying to unite them. He's saying, hey, if the, the people in your church, even if, if they're not uh, using these gifts maybe appropriately, if they are calling Jesus Lord, if they are confessing that and following him, then you should be walking in unity with them still because they actually have the Holy Spirit. Verse 4. Now, there are varieties of gifts from the same Spirit, and there are varieties of service, but the same Lord. And there are varieties of activities, but it is the same God who empowers them all in everyone. Paul points out that the Holy Spirit is the one who gives all of the gifts. But it's also interesting what he does here. If you're familiar with the language that Paul uses to refer to Jesus and the language that Paul uses to refer to God the Father, he usually uses the term Lord to refer to Jesus. 
Right now, he's, and he uses the word God, theos, I believe, in, in the Greek, is the word he uses to refer to God the Father. Now, he's not saying that Jesus isn't God with that terminology. That, that word Lord has roots in the, in the Hebrew word Yahweh. Right? So he's not saying that Jesus isn't God, but to distinguish between the three persons in the Trinity, he uses the word Spirit for the Holy Spirit, he uses the word Lord for Jesus, and he uses the word God for God the Father. So now if we look at that again, Verse 4, now there are varieties of gifts, but the same Spirit, talking about the Holy Spirit. Verse 5, and there are varieties of service, but the same Lord, talking about Jesus. And verse 6, and there are varieties of activities, but it's the same God, talking about God the Father, who empowers them all in everyone. He is rooting his argument about the unity that they should have and the unity that we see in the Trinity. We talked about that, I think, either last week or the week before. That we receive gifts from the Spirit. We all still worship the same Lord. And it's the same God, the Father, that empowers them all. He's pointing them out, hey, we're all worshiping the same God here. I don't know if you've ever seen division going within the church where there's so much anger and, and malice and problems between people in the church that you just feel like, hey, don't we all worship the same God here? Aren't we all following the same God here? That's what Paul is saying right here. Hey, we're all, we're all, we're all worshiping the same God. We may not all have the same gifts. The gifts are different. It might look different. We're all worshiping the same God here. Verse 7, to each is given the manifestation of the Spirit for the common good. For each is given the manifestation of the Spirit for the common good. These gifts, they are manifestations of the Holy Spirit given to us for, for the good of all, for the good of us as his church. And in, in chapter 14, he talks about to build up and to edify the church as the reason the gifts of the Spirit are given. I want to zoom out a little bit before I get into what exactly he means when he says the manifestation of the Spirit. I want to rewind and kind of work us through a lot of the story and the narrative of the Bible and then, and then come back to it. So at the beginning, obviously God created everything good. Adam and Eve, he said that it was good. He told them not to eat the fruit of the tree in the middle of the garden. They did that. And biblically speaking, from that point on, it's not just that sin entered the world, but to some degree, the, the reign of sin began in the world. That is not just that we sin, but it's that sin now has a, an amount of power over us. We are controlled by sinful desires, by sinful passions. We, we experience this. If you ever have uh, uh, anything that you desire not to do that's wrong, but you find yourself continuing to do that, that's because it's, sin is not just what we do at a hand level, but it's also on a heart level, and we are drawn towards sin. We are drawn towards rebellion against God. Because the domain or the kingdom of darkness, as the Bible calls it, has now begun to set itself up in the world. Now, eventually, God sends his only son, Jesus, to come and die in our place on the cross to rescue us from the kingdom of darkness, to overpower the kingdom of darkness on our behalf and create this, this new kingdom, this new group of people where Christ is king, where we follow him. And every member of that kingdom is a member of his church. If you've been saved by grace, that's who you are today, right? You're a part of the resistance, if you would, that the kingdom of darkness has set up, but he has powerfully rescued a people, and he is using that people powerfully to fight against the kingdom of darkness. Jesus talks about this in Matthew chapter 16. He takes his disciples away for a little while, out of the place where they normally did ministry, and he asks them, he says, who do people say that I am? Right? They give a variety. This is in Matthew chapter 16. They give a variety of different answers to Jesus. You're, you're, you're a prophet. Some say, I think they name one of the Old, Test, Old Testament prophets, I think Elijah. And Peter says, he gets it right. He says, you are the Christ, 
He says, you are the Savior. You're the one that we've waited for to free us from sin and captivity to sin. Here's how Jesus responds to him in verse 18, Matthew 16, 18. And I tell you, you are Peter. And on this rock, I will build my church. So what he's talking about building his church. And the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. The city's gates at that time were its protection. If someone were to storm and take your gates, you've already lost the war. If, if someone comes and attacks and tears down your gates, your city is, has lost. You, you have lost the battle. He says this church is going to be so strong that it's going to take the gates of hell itself. He's not saying the church is going to be so strong that it's going to be able to withstand the attack of the enemy or withstand the, the, the attacks of Satan. He's saying, no, no, he's not saying the church is going to play good defense. He's saying the church is going to move forward on offense and defeat the kingdom of darkness that has set itself up since Genesis 3 on the earth. He's saying that the enemy won't be able to withstand the attack of the church, that the church will be on the offensive, defeating and overthrowing this domain of darkness that has set itself up and caused so much corruption and problem in the earth. He's saying that this church is going to have such strength. That the, that the reign of sin that's been reigning for thousands of years won't be able to do anything with it. That's what Jesus says about this church that he's going to build. That he's going to rescue people from the kingdom of darkness by moving forward against the, this established reign of sin in the world. So now part of our question is, how does the church have this type of strength to move and do this and be on the offensive in this way? Look at Acts chapter 1 verse 8. This is what Jesus says to his disciples right before he ascends into heaven. He says, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the end of the earth. He's saying that this group of disciples are going to start a movement through the power of the Holy Spirit that is going to stretch to the very ends of the earth. What was seen at that point is this just, it's seen as a small sect of Judaism at that time. He said, I'm going to send my Holy Spirit. I'm going to empower you. And you're going to be my witnesses and spread the good news of who I am to the very ends of the earth, he says, empowered by his spirit. This is the type of, of power and victory, he said, his church is going to walk in. Now, I don't know about you, but when I hear that, I think sometimes that sounds well and good. But the reality for a lot of us is we're just trying to find strength to hold on to our faith. The reality for a lot of us is we feel hopeless and discouraged. We, we feel tired of fighting against sin and the domain of darkness in our own hearts. The reality for a lot of us is we've surrendered and given up fighting against sin. The reality for a lot of us is that we're struggling in our walk with the Lord and we're just trying to make it through the day. God's talking about storming the gates, the gates of hell and we're just trying to survive through the week. But God, he's not ignorant of our opposition. He isn't unaware of the brokenness in our world. He knew that the mission would be difficult. He, he knew that there would be times that it would feel like it's too much for us. He knew that at times we would be lacking encouragement. He knew we would need to be constantly edified and built up if we're actually going to live as he has called us to live and move forward in his mission as the church. So he has given each of us a manifestation of the spirit for the common good known as spiritual gifts. Depending on your tradition, some of y'all call that the anointing. <laughs> Depending on your tradition. 
He has given each of us a manifestation of the Spirit for the common good. A manifestation is the perceptible or visible expression of something. A perceptible or visual expression of something. He's saying that if you are a Christian, if you are a follower of Jesus, if you have been born again, then the Holy Spirit lives in you and he desires to reveal himself, manifest himself, make himself uh, perceptible and visual through the gifts that he has given you. Is what he's saying. That it is his plan that he would use the gifts that he has given us to make the invisible God to some degree seen through the gifts that he has given to the church. The spiritual gifts aren't so that you can be seen. We can already see you. God, the Holy Spirit, he's invisible. So in order for for him to to, to be seen, he, he puts a manifestation of who he is in us and reveals himself in his work in and through our spiritual gifts. They aren't for us to be seen. They're the, they're the expressions and activity of the invisible God for the common good. In chapter 14, again, he says that, that it is to, to build up and to edify the church. And we need to be built up because we, ha- because we have the mission and because we have the opposition. And so he has given us gifts to build us up that we might move forward in the mission and even, even against the opposition that we see and face every day. He has given you a gift to make sure that his body, his church, his people are empowered in the fight that we are in. If you are a follower of Jesus, the same Jesus that empowered, sorry, the same spirit that empowered Jesus for ministry works in and through you. The spirit that empowered Jesus to feed the 5,000, to walk on water, to cast out demons, to heal the sick, to cause the lame to walk, to cause the blind to see, to cause the deaf to hear. That Holy Spirit lives in you and wants to manifest himself in and through you for the good of his people, for the common good, to strengthen and edify his people. Do you believe this? Do you believe this to be true? That he lives inside of you and he wants to manifest himself. He wants to reveal himself. He wants to make his presence known in and through the gifts that he has given you if you are his follower. Do you believe that he wants to do that in powerful ways? Do you believe that he wants to do that in powerful ways possibly that you can't even explain through logic? That you can't even explain through reason? Quick side note, if some of us believe that, it would be a lot easier to get you to participate in life group. If some of us believe that, it will be a lot easier for us to come and serve together on a Sunday at a gathering like this for the good of of God's people, for the good of all who come together. Because you come in with the confidence of, I know he wants to work through me. He has put a manifestation of himself inside of me. I'm coming together with the body, with the people of God. And he wants to manifest himself. He wants to make himself apparent and visible, so to speak. If I was to define spiritual gift, I would say an ability empowered by the Spirit given to all believers to do some kind of ministry with supernatural results. I'll say that again. An ability empowered by the Spirit given to all believers to do some kind of ministry with supernatural results. Notice at the beginning of verse 7, it says, to each one is given. Each one. This This is beautifully personal. He's saying every single one. He's writing to the Corinthian church. He's saying there's not one of you 
that is through the power of the Holy Spirit confessing and living out the reality that Jesus Christ is Lord that doesn't have a gift of the Holy Spirit in you. He says to each one is given. That the creator of the heavens and the earth, the, the, the moon and the stars and the sun, his spirit dwells inside of us. He has uniquely designed and gifted you. You are uniquely set apart for his supernatural work if you are a follower of Jesus. It's not just that you're talented in a specific area, but it's that he uses your strengths that he has given you to powerfully work through his purposes. I believe our spiritual gifts and our talents work together as God uses us in the way he has made us. At our house, my sons at times, they get upset if they see me and their mom cooking together and they can't help. Right? They want to be able to contribute. They don't, they don't want to only just sit on the sidelines and just watch everyone else do the work. They're like, no, I want, I want to help. Why can't I help? Like they sometimes want to demand an answer. Why can't I help? I don't know if you've ever been on a sports team and had to sit on the sideline because they felt like you could not contribute. God says that doesn't happen in my kingdom. God says that doesn't happen in my church. He's saying, I, I so desire for everybody to be able to contribute. I'm going to put myself inside of them, and I'm going I'm to push them to allow themselves to be used to manifest who I am to other believers and to the world. He said, nobody's riding the bench on the team. Everybody's in the game. Everyone's playing. Everyone is contributing in my kingdom because my church needs to be built up because there's a mission. And not only is there a mission, there's opposition. There's a domain of darkness that has been set up in the world. And I need my body to be built up and edified for the fight that every single one of them are in. So I'm putting gifts in every single one of them to edify all of them for the mission that he has called us to in fighting against the kingdom of darkness. Everybody has a role. Everybody has a part to play. Yours might be different from mine. Mine's going to be different from yours. Everybody has a role. Verse 8, we'll read verse 8 through 10. For to one is given through the Spirit the utterance of wisdom, and to another the utterance of knowledge according to the Spirit, to another faith by the same Spirit, to another gifts of healing by the one Spirit, to another the working of miracles, to another prophecy, to another the ability to distinguish between spirits, to another various kinds of tongues, to another the interpretation of tongues. So in this section, we see the Paul lists the following gifts, utterance of wisdom, utterance of knowledge, faith, healings, working of miracles, prophecy, distinguishing between spirits, various kinds of tongues, and interpretation of tongues. Paul mentions here what we call a lot, what we often refer to as the sign gifts, so to speak, the, the miraculous gifts, the, the ones that if this happens, it's like, well, I got no other explanation for this other than the Holy Spirit of God is doing something that I can't fully explain. As I said earlier, I'm not going to get into all of that today because Paul addresses those more specifically and how we should interact with those in chapter 14. But here's what I do want to pull out of that part of the passage. Every time we see a list similar to this one in the Bible, and there's a few different ones. There's one in Romans 12, there's one in Ephesians 4, and there's one in 1 Peter 4 as well. Every time we see this list, it's never the same list. It's never the same list. It's always different. So I ask myself, why would that be? Why would he give a different list to the Roman church, a different list to the Corinthian church, a different list when Peter is writing to the churches? What does this mean? I believe it means, A, he is not trying to give us a complete list of spiritual gifts. 
That his goal is not to give us, hey, this is the finite number of spiritual gifts that you can have. He speaks as if people understand that there's just a variety of different types of gifts that are given out. So and then, uh, to be honest with you, I'm not you know, 100% against this, but I'm not an extremely big fan of spiritual gift tests, if I'm being honest. Because I don't believe we have the full list. Because if there was a full list, I, I, I believe he would give that to each of the churches that he talks to about the different giftings that we have. So I'm not a huge fan of them. At the same time, it is important that we know what our gifts are. And we'll get into that a little bit later. I believe if we're actually living in fellowship with other believers, actually participating with the church and not just staying on the sidelines and, and letting everyone else do the work, I believe our gifts will become apparent. I believe it will be easy for others to see and for you to see how God works through you and in what ways he uses you if we are, if we are operating together as the church is called to operate and participate together. Let's continue on verse 11. All these are empowered by one and the same spirit who apportions to each one individually as he wills. That word apportions means to divide and share out according to a plan. It means to divide and share out according to a plan. The Holy Spirit in his infinite wisdom knows all the needs of the church, knows what each of us needs in order to be edified. And so he comes up with a plan. I'm going to put this gift in this one. I'm going to put this gift in this one. I'm going to give this this measure of this gift to this one. And all of them coming together are going to have what they need to continue on and be edified in the face. The Holy Spirit, he apportions to each one individually as he wills. Let me tell you something. There is almost no feeling like knowing for certain with, with, with confidence and assurance that you are walking in the purpose that God has given you. That knowing that God made me to do this, to, to, to serve the, the brothers and sisters in the faith in this way, to serve for the common good in this way, and then to walk in that, there's nothing quite like it. When other believers who know your strengths, who know your weaknesses can speak to you directly and affirm, no, this is a spiritual gift that you have because when you do this, the Holy Spirit just be moving. I see him at work in you. I remember in 2006, I was on a summer missions trip uh, with the ministry that I was uh, a part of, and I think I did two sermons there. So we're talking 13 almost years ago. At that point, and at that time, I was extremely insecure about my, my ability to teach, my ability to preach, and that kind of thing. I remember this conversation. I remember where we were standing to this day, where it was a, a group of us in a conversation, and somebody brought it up, and it was like, oh, yeah, aunt, teaching is definitely a spiritual gift of yours. Absolutely, 100% spiritual gift. And then about three or four of them affirms, like, yeah, the Holy Spirit actually does move and work when you, when you teach. And that has given me confidence and assurance even to this day. And the Holy Spirit has affirmed that, I would say, through, through other people as well, even on, at sometimes when I feel like I, when I feel like a sermon that I just gave wasn't my best, when I feel like it's not that good, and the thoughts come in of I don't know if you should be doing this. I don't even know if you might gonna come back after that sermon. I mean, let's be honest, it was not your best work. Remembering the affirmation of the saints, of the people of God that have affirmed over and over, gives a confidence to know that this gift has been apportioned to me by the Holy Spirit. I have three uh, applications uh, for you today from this specific passage. If you're looking for how, what do I take away from this passage, I got three different applications from this passage. The first one, I've probably mentioned all of them so far, but the first one is discover your gifts. Discover your gifts. Well, how do I do that? Here's my recommendation. Start serving. How? Pick something. 
Pick something. Try it out. Get involved. Serve. Don't, don't sit on the sidelines thinking, well, I don't know how to serve because I don't know what my gift is. Listen, if you're an athlete, you don't learn how good you are by sitting on the sideline. You don't learn what you're good at by sitting on the sideline and watching everybody else be good at stuff. That's not how you learn what, you, what you're good at. You, you get involved, you learn what you're good at, and then you, th- that gift can be developed in you. You seek feedback and affirmation of other Christians to, to learn what your spiritual gifts are, which means you have to be participating, not just showing up, but actually participating in such a way that you are both seen and known. Participating in the way that you are both seen and known. Get in the game, serve, work hard. Serve for the edification of your brothers and sisters. I want to make a side note real quick, because part of the problem is sometimes we see this, uh, this phrase of, well, that isn't my gifting, uh, as an excuse not to get involved in something. Let me explain what I mean. Um, yes, we should definitely try to serve in areas that we're gifted in. 100% want to affirm that so you don't misunderstand what I am saying. I recall a conversation with a brother one time, and we were very low on Kid Town volunteers at that point. And I asked him, hey, you should, you should really consider serving in our Kid Town ministry. And he was like, oh, that's not my gift. I'm not really passionate about that. And I was like, wait, okay, so you're using the spiritual gifts that God gives his people to fuel us to serve more as a reason not to serve? That's what, is that what you just did? You just used the, the, the gifting of the Holy Spirit that he gives us as a reason to serve less than you are currently already serving. So you have completely misunderstood what this is all about. Being gifted by the Holy Spirit doesn't change the fact that he has already transformed us and made us servants. If your understanding of the gifts of the Spirit makes you less of a servant, you don't know what the Holy Spirit is really all about. You don't know what he's really actually trying to do in your life. If you see not having giftedness in a certain area means you can't be a servant. How unchristlike is it that we would say, oh, I'm not passionate about that, so I'm not going to do it? How unchristlike? The Christ that came to die for us, for his very church, and sacrificed everything. And sacrificed comfort to, to an unimaginable degree. I'm sure he wasn't passionate about going to the cross. I'm sure he wasn't passionate about dealing with the Pharisees over and over and over again. We are still servants. We still come to the table and serve. But we also have an eye towards what our spiritual gifts are. Discover your spiritual gifts, but don't use them as an excuse not to serve. There are going to be times when you don't want to serve in a specific area, but there's a need in the church. But when there's a need in the church, it is a godly thing to do if you are able to serve wherever is needed. Don't use the gifts of the Spirit as a cop-out for you not to do hard work that you just don't like to do. The body of Christ is his bride. He came and died for her. And now he wants to use us in our giftings and sometimes in areas of weakness as well for the good of his bride. Discover your gifts. Discover your gifts. Application point number two. Number one was discover your gifts. Number two, help others to discover their gifts. Help others to discover their gifts. Be on the lookout for how the Holy Spirit is manifesting himself in and through others on a consistent basis. My recommendation, I don't see this in Scripture, my recommendation is let no affirmation go unspoken. Because you just don't know. You just don't know where they are. If you see the Holy Spirit working in someone, you're like, hey, I think this is a spiritual gift. I think you need to let them know. There's too much at stake not to. 
There's too much at stake. God is intending to use that person and their gifts in the church. And if they don't know that it's there, you need to let them know. You need to tell them and affirm this in them. The Holy Spirit is wanting to manifest himself, reveal himself, show himself to be strong, to edify his church. And if they don't know the gift is there or maybe they're a little hesitant or maybe they're a little bit insecure about it, let them know. Encourage them, affirm them that this is what the Holy Spirit is doing in and through them. I was talking to Tremont, I believe it was on Monday, about how as a church we were just talking about developing leaders and, uh, and that type of thing. And he brought up, he was like, you know what, last week or maybe the week before, somebody actually told me that a gift of mine was helping to develop leaders. I really need to, I really need to get on that. That person took 10 seconds, maybe 15 seconds, to say a few sentences to him. And now as we're talking about it, it's brought to his memory, and now he's encouraged even more to step out and do what God is calling him to do. Because somebody took 15 seconds, 15 seconds to affirm someone, to encourage someone. I wonder what would happen if all of us took a similar posture. Lord, help me to see how you're working in and through the lives of my, of my brothers and sisters. Who might I encourage in the giftedness that you have given them? So I think about this passage, I wonder who isn't being blessed by a manifestation of the Spirit because you have not affirmed that gift in someone. I wonder what's lacking. I wonder what's missing within the church. I wonder what edification and encouragement we are falling short in because we're not vocal about what we see in others. And so I think about this passage, I wonder how much more effective our church would be if we intentionally, consistently encouraged each other in our gifts and stepped out boldly and confidently in the gifts that God has given us. I wonder how these manifestations of the Holy Spirit would work for our common good. I wonder how much more mature we'd be. I wonder how much more loving we'd be. I wonder how many more people we would be able to bless. I wonder how many more people would hear about the good news of Jesus in and through us if we were committed to encouraging each other in the gifts that we see in one another. Yesterday at the parenting workshop, I I asked Meredith Hassel if she had the gift of hospitality. She very calmly and confidently said, yeah, I do. And I'm grateful that she confidently uses that gift every week as she hosts her life group in her house. I'm grateful that she is using that gift for the common good. I'm grateful that that she has a confidence in that gift as it has been affirmed to her by other believers in her family of faith. I'm grateful for, I wish she was in the room today, I'm grateful for Nicole Roberts and her gift of encouragement. Multiple times she has come to me and just encouraged me as a pastor about things she's seen going well in the church and things that she's seen going well under my leadership. And it was just wind in my sails at times that I needed it. And I know she's encouraged some of you all in the same way, using her gift for the common good. I'm grateful for the young brother, Matt Harvey. And let me tell you why. Let me tell you why. I actually asked him this this morning. He knew I was setting him up for a sermon illustration. I asked him, since we started coming here August 12th, y'all know we have a setup team that comes here early in the morning. Most, uh, many of them get here at 7 o'clock in the morning. I asked him, I said, have you missed even five Sundays in getting here at 7 a.m. to set everything up? He said, when I've been in town, I hadn't missed one yet when I've been in town. I don't know if you've ever seen a gift of service before. But when you talk about 
someone who works and goes to school and continues to come out and doesn't miss a Sunday. That's an anointing. So some of you understand what I'm saying. Sets up each week. Sometimes he runs sound. Sometimes he runs the slides that come up on the screen. Every week he's setting up sound equipment and everything else. We need to encourage our brothers and sisters in their gifting. This is important. Application point number one is discover your gifts. Number two was help others discover their gifts. And number three, this one is real simple. It's not rocket, rocket science. Use your gift. Use your gift. If you have identified what your spiritual gifts are, use them. I talked earlier about the battle that the people of God are in. We have a mission that we don't have the power to complete on our own. We have a very real spiritual enemy that would love to distract us and draw us away from God. We have members of our church that are struggling in their faith right now. We have members in our church who right now are struggling to just continue to believe in God and who he is and believe the good news of Jesus. We have a supernatural God who's put a supernatural gift in you for the edification of those very believers for the common good. Use your gift. It's true. It's incredibly dignifying and empowering to walk in the purpose that God has called us to. But the reason we use our gifts primarily is not so that we can feel good about it, but because we actually love our brothers and sisters. Because we actually love each other. Because we actually want one another to be encouraged. Because we want one one another to be built up to walk in strength and victory in the Lord. The mission is too great for us to just be content to be members on a roster, on a church roster, and not participate and not serve and not volunteer our time and our energy and our giftings for the good of the church. The mission is too great. The call that has been put on the church is too high for us to have a church full of people who sit on the sidelines. The cost is too high for you to sit on the sidelines and not be interested in engaging with the church for the edification of his body. The mission is too great. The the opposition is too great for us to not use the power of the Holy Spirit as he dwells inside of us. Our church isn't what it should be if you're not involved, if you're a member here. Our church is not what it should be if you're not involved, if you're not participating, if you're not using your giftedness. We We are less as a group without you. We'll never be who God has called us to be if our members don't use the gifts, the manifestations of the Spirit that he has put inside each and every one of us. Use your gift. Use your gift to edify, to build up, to love, and to bless the bride of Christ whom he came and died for. Use your gift. And I believe as we do so, we'll see God move in and through our church like we've never seen before. Would you pray with me before we partake in communion together? Father, thank you for your word. Thank you that you love us enough to come and live inside of us, Holy Spirit. Thank you that you even desire to manifest yourself in and through people like us. We've messed up so many times. We've sinned. We've run against you. We've used the gifts that you have given us for our own selfish gain at times. And you continue to be with us, to be patient with us to dwell in us and to work through us. So we're grateful for that this morning. Thank you that even though we have opposition, we also know that we have you living in us and the power that you give us to accomplish the mission that you have given us. Father, I just pray for conviction in any of our hearts if we're a believer and we're we're not passionate about using the gifts that you have given us for the common good of your people. 
and of the world. Would you grant us repentance to any one of us in this room that, that, that reject this call that you give us to use the gifts that you have placed inside of us, God? Grant us a joyful repentance even right now, today, before we take communion. Would you grow us? Would you edify us through these manifestations of yourself? Thank you, Holy Spirit, for being with us today. It's in Christ's name I pray. Amen.